Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. We have some listeners out there who are just getting started with the podcast, or maybe even brand new with magic story and lore. And if that's you, welcome. Or you might have been with us for a while, and you have journeyed with us through the last few seasons of the epic Phyrexian arc. And if that's you, welcome back. For those of you just getting started with us, the Magic Story Podcast is where we recap the fiction story behind the card game Magic the Gathering. All of these fiction stories we talk about here on the podcast are available on mtgstory.com. We are back, and today is the premiere of Season 5. This season, we are starting a new arc, an all-new adventure, and returning to the Plane of Eldraine. Join Join us as we head into the multiverse. Multiverse has triumphed over the Phyrexians, the biomechanical hive mind from the plane of New Phyrexia. And if you're getting back into magic story or maybe just starting, the short version of that story is that these Phyrexians nearly decimated the multiverse. They had the ability to infect everything and everyone they met using the glistening oil, and we lost many of our most iconic characters and magic to this invasion. The victory over Phyrexia was not without massive consequences, however. The multiverse had changed forever. Many planeswalkers who survived the invasion have mysteriously lost their sparks, meaning they no longer have the power to traverse the multiverse like they once did. Therefore, they are no longer planeswalkers. Also, the multiverse now has these strange holes punched through the blind eternities. Portals have opened up that can bridge planes together, And that is a brand new concept, because before, the only beings that could traverse from plane to plane were planeswalkers. Although Phyrexia was ultimately defeated, the Phyrexians had damaged the multiverse, every single plane they invaded. And in some cases, the damage was irreversible and catastrophic. We are now in the wake of this war, and the lingering effects of the Phyrexian invasion are still being felt even on the plane of Eldraine, which is the world where season five is going to take place. This is a return to the plane that debuted for the first time back in 2019 with the magic set Throne of Eldraine. Eldraine is our plane of medieval whimsy and fairy tales. Magic of all kinds is prevalent here, from witchcraft to the fae to fairy dust and magic spells. It's just daily life for the denizens of Eldraine. You hear about the witch from the woods and faraway kings living in castles. The innate magic of the plain is wild, and very often the kingdom of Eldraine, where people live, is referred to as the Realm, with a capital R. The opposing side is the Wilds, with a capital W, which, as the name suggests, is deep, untamed lands with mysterious magic. All kinds of beings live here. Elves, humans, dwarves, fey folk... And then there are giants and unicorns and all kinds of magical creatures. As you could imagine, here, knights are highly revered. In the current age of Eldraine, the throne of the High King, meaning the ultimate ruler of the realm, belongs to the Kenrith family. There are two human planeswalkers who belong to the Kenrith family, twins. Will Kenrith, the brother, 
who was a creomancer, a sorcerer of ice, and his headstrong twin sister, Rowan Kenrith, a spark mage, able to wield lightning. Now, Rowan, you'd probably recognize her if you've ever picked up any Throne of Eldrin product. She's the blonde-haired woman in the red robe on all the packaging. Now, she's grown up a lot from the younger version we'd seen her as in earlier magic sets. When you look at younger Rowan, which is a card from Battle Bond, and then look at her again in her card from Throne of Eldraine, you really get the sense that Rowan was pretty young, and now she's kind of all grown up. Current Rowan, which you can see on the card Rowan, Scion of War, looks much older with her blonde hair cut shorter. And she just looks a little more worn in her facial expression. She looks a little like she's been through it. And we're about to find out she has. Yeah, she looks like on this card on Rowan, Scion of War, it looks like she's been through something like it's it's clear that the Phyrexian invasion has has impacted her and and you can just see how much she's grown up that was my favorite part of, of seeing these the, these two characters all grown up she looks so you know she looks more like a soldier now than she ever did yeah she looks more mature and Will meanwhile is a blonde-haired young man and very much a boy in the age of Battle Bond and Throne of Eldraine but like his sister he's a little more grown up now He's a young ice mage back in Throne of Eldraine, and together, Will and Rowan are sometimes called the Scions, and you can really see them a lot back-to-back fighting side-by-side. I mean, they're twins, right? Like, twins tend to have this bond that is so unbreakable, and that seems to be the case with Will and Rowan, but that's not to say that they're extraordinarily similar. They actually are a bit different, right? They have a lot of different, uh, their magic is different, their ideals are different, the way they handle situations is different, and we actually found a Kenrith family portrait from Eldraine. And oh my gosh, it is so beautiful. You see Will and Rowan with the king and queen and their younger siblings from that second marriage. And it's just absolutely beautiful and iconic and so regal. I mean, they all stand there looking like the true royals that they are. Now, Will currently, you can see him on the card Will, Scion of Peace in Wilds of Eldraine. He's much more knightly. He's a bit stronger, a bit more grizzled and seasoned. I would even argue he looks a little bit kingly, but he's clearly still a young man. Most recently, they had been studying at Strixhaven, the school of mages where we had seen characters like Quintorius and Professor Vess during the invasion last season. But they had returned to Eldraine due to the Phyrexian invasion, and the loss they suffered because of it is profoundly impactful. Their father, the High King, was dead. So was their mother, the Queen. Therefore, we start our first episode of Wilds of Eldraine, which is titled Pure of Heart, written by K. Arsenal Rivera, with this tragedy and what this means for our twin characters, Will and Rowan. Will has ascended the throne. The kingdom in the wake of the Phyrexian invasion is broken. There are many knights throughout the realm that nickname Will the Boy King. And I quote from the story from Rowan's perspective. Now, she's our third person narrator at the beginning of the episode. No matter how much she wishes it was otherwise, Rowan cannot blame them. So I want to highlight something before we go much further. The Phyrexian invasion was serious. Even in its writing, like the story tone, there wasn't much room for humor or poetic verse or fanciful whimsy. I think back to our episodes on the Brothers' War, how gritty and dark and war-beaten and hopeless that whole season was. 
And then Phyrexia All Will Be One and March of the Machine was just an onslaught of devastating consequences and full-scale war. But Eldraine? Its style is incredibly different right off the bat. If you haven't done so already, I highly recommend our listeners check out the episode we released last week, The Adventures of Wrinkle, Master of Love. It will give you insight into how the tone of Eldraine is just so vastly different than the Phyrexian invasion. And it'll give you insight into what makes Natalie and I absolutely crack up. We laughed through that entire episode. <laughs> we did. We did. It was absolutely hysterical. And these these episodes in Wilds of Eldraine are just no exception to that rule. It reads like a classic fairy tale, the once upon a time in a faraway kingdom style. Sentences will rhyme and feel like some sort of song or like verse. So even though we're talking about the death of the king and the tragedies of the Phyrexian invasion on Eldraine, the morbidness that had been prevalent in our previous seasons is not quite as dark. So Will has ascended to the throne of Eldraine, as we had mentioned earlier, though he is mocked being called the boy king. And there has been a knight from a neighboring kingdom that has been causing some issues for Will. But the people are quite fond of her this night, so Will goes in person with his sister Rowan to confront the knight. And she, well, I'll take this moment to highlight how seasoned she is. She is clearly highly respected. She lost an arm to the Phyrexians and replaced it with this enchanted wood. She wields this giant fiery warhammer, and her face is described as silvered in scars in valiant service. Will approaches this woman's throne and calls her Sir Imodane. Sir spelled S-Y-R. Imodane corrects Will, saying she is Queen Imodane. Will, with an attempted friendly, amiable fashion, responds with, Ah, a queen. Then we can make an arrangement as equals, and smiles to her. But Rowan remarks that she, quote, can see the cracks in his mask. Imadane and her officials just laugh at Will, exclaiming that they are beyond talking to the boy king. The only reason I agreed to this little meeting, Imadane says, was to see if you were pathetic, as I'd heard. You are. This obviously makes Rowan very angry to hear her brother being spoken to like this, but Will silently asks her to remain calm with a raised hand. Imadane goes on to accuse Will of being a coward during the Phyrexian invasion, since she had not seen him on the field. But this is not true. Rowan and Will had fought their own battles within their castle and had their own tragedies. But it's clear Imadane does not know that. While Rowan is practically seething in her anger, Will calmly challenges Imadane to a duel, the stakes being the throne itself. If he loses, he would bend the knee to Imogen as queen, and vice versa if he wins. Now, obviously, this makes Rowan exceedingly nervous. Imogen is a seasoned warrior, wielding a mighty warhammer. Against a woman like Imogen, he had about as much chance as an ant before a lion. And I just want to describe Imogen a little bit here from the card Imogen, the Pyrohammer, which, by the way, is I such love a that great name. name. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So she's a legendary creature, and she, on the top of her card in her art box, is really shown with this, like, absolute um, gigantic, it's so long, this Warhammer that's on fire, and you can see that her enchanted wooden arm is, you know, 
it looks so strong and so muscled. It reminded me of like a dragon's arm almost, like how it's kind of mm. all spiked and scaled. And like, it looks so powerful and cool. Like this enchanted wood is, is clearly very, very strong um, and has made her stronger as, as a warrior. It's just, it looks awesome. And it's showcased front and center on this card. Absolutely. And she has um, brown skin, brown hair that's kind of braided to keep it away from her, which seems like a very knightly thing to do. You don't want your hair getting in your way in battle, but I love how long her hair is. It just shows like that she is still, um, it's really cool to see like women being knights, obviously. And it's really cool here how they've done her hair to like keep that femininity while also, I mean, like you said, she lo- she means business. She looks like she's about to like swing that hammer right in your yeah, face. Yeah, she does. Yeah. I think my favorite piece of her card is actually the flavor text down at the bottom, and I'll read it for you. The realm needs a ruler, not a boy playing king. Ah, so good. So Rowan begs her brother to let her fight in his stead, but Will refuses. Will insists he must appear strong, else no one will be convinced he's worthy to be king. I mean, he's has a point there. Will has been training every morning, and they studied at Strixhaven together, and Rowan recognizes that he's grown from the boy he once was. He is also very resolute in his decision to fight Imodane. And I'll quote this from the story. Long have knights tilted at one another on fields of battle and fields of glory. So many of her memories see her bouncing on her father's lap as she watched them, asking questions about everything she saw, asserting with perfect confidence that she'd number among them one day. Her father always assured her that she was right. When at last she tilted for the first time, her joy sparked in the hearts of all her family, and thus, like kindling to flame, grew stronger. Phyrexia took that from her. Now, when she watches Will fall into a fighting stance, she sees their father's face shadowing his. Imodane becomes a barbed monstrosity intent on destruction. So I think it's very clear here that Rowan is having some post-traumatic stress. Yeah. From watching her father and her stepmother die and her half-brother and half-sister. And we'll get into that a little bit more in the story, but this is the beginning of us seeing just how hard those battles really were on her. Now, Imodane charges forward with her Warhammer and Wilson's ice along the floor, which sends Imodane falling comically onto her backside and unable to recover, she then falls face first into the ice. And I'll be honest, I had a slide whistle in my head reading the scene. <laughs> so I just I I so comical. I it was I laughed out loud <laughs> when I did read the scene because it was just like it's not what I expected. Like Imodine has been, you know, so so ferocious and and set up to be so fierce, which she is, but then it's contrasted with this very, very comical scene so I just had like that slide whistle (laughs) like hopefully we're able to play a slide whistle for you it's like I just had that in my head watching this so anyway sorry continue no absolutely and obviously being laughed at by everyone Imogen is now very very mad and you know she goes from being like this super cocky self-assured I'm here to destroy you person to you know, an embarrassment in like the span of two seconds. So she sends fire into her hammer, melts the ice and gets back onto her feet 
furious. Will dodges her next strike, but then he himself falls on the unmelted ice. <laughs> Can we get another slide whistle, please, for Will? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I mean, ice magic sounds great, but this is hilarious, right? Like, this does seem like it would be a side effect of the ice magic. Like, what? Can we get him some cleats, some ice cleats or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll read this from the story. Imodane can raise her hammer faster than Will can get back up. Rowan's throat goes tight. Fear screws her to the sticking spot. Each second of indecision burns her from the inside. She hates this. It isn't who she is. She won't let it be. All of the anger she'd felt then, watching her father die. All of the sorrow she'd felt after. As current through a wire, she lets them course through her, unimpeded. But there is something else coming along with the anger, the sorrow. Something new and terrible. Rowan knows it not, yet like poison it courses through her veins, setting her afire. To name what leaves her fingertips a bolt of lightning is to name a cauldron a thimble. The heavens themselves tremble at the sight. Dark clouds recede to allow the king of elements its regal charge. By the time the thundercrack brings them all to their knees, it has been full five seconds. Only when the dust settles does she realize what she's done. So Rowan's lightning magic. Remember, she's a spark mage, so she's able to wield lightning. She had called it down and cleaves the entire mountain into. It's so powerful and terrifying that even Imodane herself picks up and picks herself up from the floor and flees. Like she just she just runs. And Rowan doesn't even understand where that came from within her, how she was able to unleash a power like that. Like she has no clue what just happened. And there's actually a card from the set. It's called Stone Splitter Bolt. And there's just this picture of Rowan wielding lightning. Like it is an intense spell that she is that that she is summoning down. And it's just kind of this is the image that I kind of had in my head as she was calling down this lightning in a way that clearly younger Rowan would have never been able to do. Um, and so it's just a it's a fantastic instant card that just has the like the best art that I could imagine for what this what this call of lightning must have looked like. Now, it's clear that this is, it's bad. Will is flabbergasted at what Rowan has done. Imodane might have fled, but many of her knights have it. So they draw swords in an attempt to now slay the boy king and claim the throne for themselves. Rowan is, pun intended, shocked. She's angry at herself, but she still turns to her brother and says that he should have just let her protect him in the first place, should have never challenged Imodane to a duel at all. And seeing as they had a bunch of swords surrounding them now, Will says they'll talk about it later, once they've gotten themselves out of trouble. So here we switch perspectives in the story, and we're actually following Imodane as she flees from her own castle. She flees in such haste away from the scene that had just unfolded with Rowan. I mean, it's clear she's terrified of what Rowan had done, that she doesn't realize she is in the wilds until it's too late. Wilds with a capital W, remember. Her senses return, her spine a shiver. She looks around for what feels the first time. Wherever she is, the woods are gone. Into a palace she has wandered, a throne room glittering and gossamer. Music in strange keys beguiles her ears. She smells wine, ripe fruit, and perfume. All around, the landscape shifts as easily as the music. 
walls become windows into a realm of plenty. Windows become doorways to who knows where. If she tries, she thinks she could see straight through the misty structures. But she doesn't want to try. There are things mortals are not yet meant to know. Though the throne before her is shrouded in shadow, she knows upon seeing it where she must have ended up. Imodane falls to her knees, begging forgiveness from this mysterious ruler she has accidentally stumbled upon. Two eyes, gold as mead, glow from the dark. There is no need for apologies. You were summoned. This mysterious being, someone whom Imidane calls your majesty, is called for right now in the story, the Fey Lord. And clearly, this Fey Lord is imposing. I mean, this is Imodane. If Imodane collapsed instantly to her knees, begging forgiveness from this Fey Lord, while she had openly mocked Will Kenrith, the High King, I want to know who this Fey Lord is. Uh, we all do. But for now, the Fey Lord just asks Imodane, Are you pure of heart? And we switch perspectives once more, this time clear across Eldraine, far away into a land called Orenshire. It's a humble place of villages and farmlands and peace, and I'll read this from the story. It lies at an edge of the realm so remote that in day-to-day life, the names of kings and queens never cross the lips of its residents. Yearly visits from a single traveling merchant serve as a holiday all in their own. Whatever road the merchant takes to find this place, he has not shared with the world, for even the Phyrexians neglected this place. Perhaps they were not fond of sheep. There are more sheep in the village than people by at least fivefold. When people say the word Orenshire, the word wool inevitably follows. And this is where we meet a character named Kellen. He's young. He's only 16 years old. And he doesn't like Orenshire. And Orenshire doesn't particularly like him either. In this scene, where we meet him for the first time, he's been attacked by the other local boys. Superficially, I mean, he has cuts on his skin and seems really rattled, but he's not seriously injured. But he doesn't want to talk about it to his mother and stepfather, who show immense concern and is clearly upset their son was attacked. Kellen has an interesting, I'm going to say angst about him. He's obviously dissatisfied with his life in Orenshire, but remains really reserved and kind of bristly about it, even to his own mother. He describes himself rather negatively, too. And I'll read this from the story. When his mother leads him to sit by the table, he plops down into the chair with a pout, slumping like a marionette whose strings have been cut. Yes, quite like a marionette. He is wiry and small for 16. All the more reason for the other boys to have chosen him as their victim. So one of the things that's really interesting here is that as his mother is kind of like assessing the damage, seeing what they've done to him, she notices that they threw iron nails at him, which, you know, in a lot of fairy tales, iron hurts Faye. So they were trying to hurt him by throwing iron at him, which is just so cruel and just nasty. What's more interesting is that when his mother pesters him on who attacked him, pointing the finger at the Cotter boys, which again leads me to believe that this isn't the first time Kellen has had something like this happen, Kellen just says it isn't their fault. He explains that the boys had asked him a question and that Kellen had answered them, quote, wrong. They're afraid of me, I think, Kellen says. They think the slumber is my fault. 
And this is the first time we're running across the term slumber with a capital S. We don't know what this is at this point in the story, but clearly it's not good. Now, finally, after his mother and stepfather show immense concern about their son's well-being, Kellen reveals the question the boys had asked him. They asked if it was true my father was a fairy. His stepfather steps in right here and responds with, It doesn't matter what they say, son. All that matters is who you are, not where you're from. And who you are is our boy. Kellen swallows. The question's almost too frightening to ask, but he has to be brave. Heroes in all the stories are brave. But, but what if it's true? And that is who I am. Don't I belong in the woods? The woods aren't the way you think, his mother says. There are dangers there you can't yet imagine, my sweet boy. When you're older, we can face them together. But for now, his mother throws her arms around him. For a moment, he's not sure who's embracing who. You belong here, his mother says, with us, no matter what anyone else says. But it isn't the first time she said this to him, nor the first time they've all embraced. And as much as Kellen loves his family, when he looks to the woods, all he feels is longing. So my interest is definitely piqued here. Do we have a character who is a half-fairy youngster looking for a hero's journey? I think we do. So, yay! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Right here, though, um, right after we we see Kellen and and his mother kind of embracing and he's thinking, oh, maybe I belong to the woods. We don't get any answers. We switch straight back to Rowan Kenrith's perspective right after the scene. And Rowan approaches Will, her brother, back in Castle Vantress, which is where they had taken up residence after Castle Ardenvale, which is their true home and the home of the High King, had been destroyed in the Frexian invasion. It seems to be maybe a few weeks after the incident with Imodane, and Will just looks exhausted. The duties as king literally piled up in papers around him, and he hasn't slept in days. Rowan obviously worries for him worries he's not taking care of himself and plug here you always need to take care of yourself and mental health is so important and I am so glad that Rowan is stepping in to be this advocate for her brother I just have to say and grief is hard and we all deal with it in different ways and and Will is clearly he's throwing himself into this work to try to help him process that grief and Rowan kind of sees through that right Mm -hmm. like she sees that That's him being avoidant, and she is really trying to deal with this herself in her own way as well. And it's very clear that there's this kind of breaking of paths between them where one of them, where where their grief is just being dealt with in completely different ways. Yeah, yeah. you can see the difference. They might be twins, but like you said, Harless, at the top of this episode, they're clearly very different you know, not just their magic is different, but they are very different people. Like they're they're twins. They have obviously been through thick and thin together, but they are very, very different. And how they are dealing with all of this, especially for Will, you know, taking up the throne, I think has maybe uh, maybe started to show those differences um, kind of for the first time for for Rowan and Will. Yeah. Like, could these be cracks in their relationship? Yeah. Yeah. So. Rowan just decides out loud, we're leaving. She thinks that Will can better serve the realm when they're away from all this paperwork and the stresses of the court. They are planeswalkers, after all. She doesn't fully understand why Will took the title of High King in the first place, and it shows here. 
To her, the simple answer is just to leave it all behind. To make matters worse, it sounds like the incident with Imadane, where Rowan had literally split the mountain in two, was causing a hefty amount of problems for Will. Like, for example, people not wanting to follow Will as High King, as they either call him a coward who couldn't finish the fight with Imadane, or they condemn Rowan for what she did. Countless letters like this are pouring in from across the realm, and Will is clearly still irritated with his sister that she had done that. Which, I kind of wished her brother would understand she didn't mean to. I mean, yes, she intervened with the fight, but she didn't mean to split the mountain in two. Well, Will's argument is as follows. He says, The realm needs a high king. I did what I had to do, and I would have done that at the cliffs, too. I had a plan, Rowan. I don't always need you to save me, he says. We have to be careful about the impression we're making. People want to be united, and I want to unite them. Blasting a hole in a mountain is no one's idea of unity. I could have talked to her, found some way forward, but now she's gone off into the woods and her rebels have reason to fear us. And I'll read to you Rowan's response here. So, let them be afraid. I doubt any of them will be raiding the countryside anytime soon with the beating we gave them. I'd rather have a thousand brigands living in fear of me than a dozen farmers living in fear of brigands. Our parents wouldn't ignore a curse that's spreading through the kingdom. Or is unity going to solve the wicked slumber too? I didn't know all those people needed was a handshake and a cup of ale. And before you forget, our parents earned their titles. You just decided to call yourself High King because you thought it suited you, no matter how much I told you it didn't. Which, oof, that, like, that oof. is so harsh. And, like, that I, I know a lot of twins <laughs> in real life. And, like, they real talk each other all the time. Like, they do not yeah. hold back. And you can really see that here. But, you know... <sighs> It, they're not really being fair to each other at all. They're really not no, they're not at all to yeah. see one another's perspective. Yeah, and I think this interaction says so much about Will and Rowan. They're twins, but they are so different. They might look alike, but how Will approaches and thinks about things is very different than how Rowan thinks. And it's a sibling duality here that we're starting to see. I mean, Rowan just says it like it is. In my personal opinion, probably makes Will a better king. Okay, Natalie saying it like it is. (laughs) (laughs) So Rowan, while still arguing with her brother about this, tries to take them away, meaning she tries to get them to both planes walk into a different plane. But she can't. She blames it on Will, his stubbornness, but she also is heavily distracted, unable to focus on a distant plane when all she can think about is Eldraine and their home, Castle Ardenvale, that had been destroyed in the invasion. Her chest feels tight. Her head might as well have a spike through it. And whenever she closes her eyes, she sees their father dead on the end of a Phyrexian's blade. Stay if you want to, she says to her brother. But I'm going. We don't see whether Rowan is actually able to go because we switch back to our little half-fairy, Kellen, over in Orenshire. It's nightfall on the new moon, and this marks a time when Kellen's mother always tells him stories. Now he races his dog who is named Hex, which I absolutely that's the best love. Name that's for such a, a dog. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And it's, it's so good. And it's a sheep so dog too. It's like it's like all like it's got like the long fur, like the long raggedy fur. I just absolutely loved Hex, the sheep dog of of Kellen's. It's just like it's the perfect name. It's the perfect dog. <laughs> 
you know, we love a dog and magic. We love a dog and magic. And this one is no exception. So we, he races his dog Hex up the hill to this willow tree. And while he's waiting for his mother, standing beside the willow tree, he looks out onto his village and sees something unexpected. It's an archway made of ethereal, translucent stone. His mother's stories had prepared him to know that this is an invitation to speak with one of the high fairies. So Kellen decides to go. He thinks maybe this is his real father trying to connect with him. And I feel like that's so understandable. Like if you don't know one of your parents and you have this opportunity to find them, I think a lot of people would have a hard time saying no to that tasty little invitation. Absolutely. So I'll read for you from the story here. And passes through the archway. A hero never hesitates. An unseen gust of wind throws him the rest of the way through, and he lands on a cool, mossy floor. Only when he props himself up does he realize the grass here is all silver. The twisting trees overhead bear jeweled fruit. In the distance, he sees thatch roof houses, large as mountains, while all around him there are miniature castles populated by moving miniature knights. Ahead of Kellen is a staircase and a person sitting in a throne at the top. As he approaches this beautiful form, this fairy is so beautiful, by the way, that Kellen has a difficult time even processing what he's seeing. And this fae lord asks him, Are you true of heart? I don't know, Kellen says. I'd like to think I'd be. That's no answer at all. Are you truly your father's son, bearing such wounds as that without having dealt twice as many in return? So it's true, Kellen gasps. I'm half fae. Do you know my father? He tries to step toward the throne to see the fairy closer, but roses lash out to block his progress. Careful, child, they say. The blood that compels hatred from mortals offers you some protection here, but that protection is finite. Remain where you are, and I shall make no move to stop you, but take another step and you forsake your realm for my own. And with this, Kellen knows. This is the fairy lord, Talion. And Talion is actually a card in the Wilds of Eldraine set. Their card is called Talion, the Kindly Lord. It is truly breathtaking, beholding this powerful fairy lord on this card. This art is by Justina Dura, and it is a blue-black card, and that is just all over this the art. Like, it is really just tones of blue and black and a hint of white, where you can see that kind of archway that Kellen walked through behind the Fey Lord. And the, they are just floating in the air with these black robes around them and these beautiful, delicate, pointy boots, which I really hope one of our cosplayers remakes because these boots are really cool. And this just absolute stunning, like, crown um, on their head. It's just, I mean, when when Kellen says that this is absolutely, that this person is absolutely stunning, they are 100% correct. Kellen is 100% correct. This lord is breathtaking with these sharp eyes that are just piercing and just surrounded by thorns and butterflies and um, some lavender and these gnarled trees. And the whole thing is just so ethereal that it's just absolutely breathtaking. So the thing about Talion is that they, they kind of 
demand utmost respect. That's that's the number one thing that you should remember about Talion. And they kind of see themselves as they don't even need to meddle in to the affairs of the mortals. They just they're kind of part of the higher court. They see themselves as almost a, a different sort of entity that they so the the point here being is that Talion coming before Kellen and you know and 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 making themselves known to Kellen is significant. Talion doesn't do it's a big this. Deal. Yeah, this is this is a big deal for the kindly lord, like the fairy lord, Talion, to be beholding themselves in front of Kellen. This is a big deal. Um, and also Talion is non-binary, so they use they them pronouns. And Kellen knows the ways of the fairy. They cannot lie and they do nothing for free. So Talion first tests Kellen by summoning these bowls of delicious fruit, tempting him to owe a favor. But Kellen declines the offer. Afterwards, Talion gets straight to the point. Three witches have plagued the realm into a slumber. The Wicked Slumber, capitalized. Agatha, Hilda, and Ariette are the three witches responsible for casting this curse over the land. Talion offers boon from every full treasury to whichever hero succeeds in destroying the wicked slumber and taking out these witches. So ultimately, Talion is looking for a true hero. And clearly Talion is asking multiple people because we just saw the same thing happen to Imodane. Yep. But it takes no guesswork to know what Kellen is going to decide to do here. He's been a hero in waiting since we met him, and he wants the truth about his father, all of it. So Kellen wants to know more about him, wants to be more like him, this man who dwells among the silver grass and a land of impossible beauty. If he fails, he fails. But if he can do it, he'll finally know the truth. So he tells Talion, I'll do it. I'll go. And that's how we end the episode, is Kellen is going to go off on this, on this adventure, on this hero's journey by the request of the fairy lord to take out these three witches that are responsible for something called the wicked slumber. I guess we're going to find out more as to what the wicked slumber is. We don't really know what it is. We just know that it's probably pretty bad. And we're we're going to go on a hero's journey all. I'm so excited. I absolutely love Kellen already. Kellen is, you know, this like bright eyed not probably a little naive he's so young um, yeah <laughs> very young kid who just wants to know who he truly is and in order to do that he wants to find this missing piece of himself and i think that's such a noble quest you know sometimes we see heroes go on journeys for gold we see heroes go on journeys to try to bring people back from the dead or other nefarious things that are you know kind of inherently selfish but with kellen he just wants the truth he just wants information and i really hope that that does good for him And we're so looking forward to continuing the Wilds of Eldraine story with you all. We're just getting started, so stay tuned for more episodes right around the corner. As always, you can read these stories and many more, including the entirety of the Phyrexian arc in a downloadable ebook at mtgstory.com. Also, we are on pretty much all podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you've just gotten started with us today, welcome to Magic Story. If you liked today's episode, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. 
thanks to all who have posted the reviews already. We can't emphasize enough how much we appreciate you all. Your support for Magic Story helps us tremendously, and it is so very much heard. We read every single one of them. The Wilds of Eldrain Magic set is out there right now. You can see all your favorite characters in these cards. It's a perfect set to get back into the game or maybe try it out for the very first time. We'll see you soon in our next episode. But until then, have, have a magical, magical day. day.